Welcome to the Not All Better Show, Smithsonian Associate Series. Our guest today is author, historian, Smithsonian Associate Ken Womack. Ken Womack is a fan favorite on the show and has been on the show often. Ken Womack is one of the world's foremost writers and thinkers about the Beatles. In addition to such titles as Long and Winding Roads, The Evolving Artistry of the Beatles, The Cambridge Companion to the Beatles, and The Beatles Encyclopedia, Everything Fab Four, Ken Womack is co-author of the brand new book, All Things Must Pass Away, Harrison and Clapton, and other assorted love songs. Ken Womack serves as the music culture critic for Salon, as well as a regular contributor to a host of print and web outlets, including Slate, Billboard, Time, Variety, The Guardian, USA Today, The Independent, NBC News, and The Philadelphia Inquirer. Ken Womack is a professor of English and popular music at Monmouth University. Ken Womack is our guest today, and of course we are talking Beatles, and we will do a deep dive into the upcoming three-part Beatles documentary series, Get Back, which will be available over Thanksgiving weekend on Disney+. Plus. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associate Series on KSCW, Ken Womack. Ken Womack, welcome back to the program. Oh, so good to be with you in this holiday weekend. Yes. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. My best to everybody. I hope everybody's well and, you know, going to just enjoy one another this Thanksgiving week. That sounds like a a good plan, my friend. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, we're going to talk about this, and this is my my kind of lame little segue here. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to for Thanksgiving. That's the Beatles three part documentary, Get Back, and I'm I'm super excited to, to talk to you, just a renowned Beatles historian. You and I have talked before about the Beatles. You've got this great new book that we're going to talk about, Harrison and Clapton, that we've talked a little bit about before. But gosh, you know, what, what do you hope to see in the film that's coming out? I. I I've got my ideas that, you know, that period of time for the Beatles was always portrayed as kind of this this dark time, you know, and and the breakup was just so hard on everybody. Yet it seems like I haven't seen anything. I'm I'm curious to hear what you've seen already, but it seems like this film depicts something very differently for the for the group. Well, I'm happy to say I've seen the whole thing. And uh, oh, wow. Great. We'll be, uh, you know, as you might imagine, in my role as music culture critic for Salon.com, I'll be reviewing it. Yes. I um, should be in a, out in a couple of days. Uh, it is embargoed, but I can speak generally about it. And um, I have to say that um, it, it really coheres so nicely with uh, a story that I know from, from my own writing about it. And that is, it's just the greatest comeback ever. It's, you know, I mean, there's a reason why George Harrison and John Lennon talked about these sessions as being miserable. Um, But what's Mm -hmm. lovely about it is how um, the Beatles, like a great sports team, just come back because they can, you know, and uh, that's the joy of watching it. I, I hope folks will will be able to really take in that experience. Yeah, I'm looking so forward to it, as I say. And the trailer, which is all I've seen, but and I know you can't talk about much, it's embargoed, but, you know, the pastel colors just jumped right out at me. It looks more brilliant. It looks, you know, I'm sure the audio is just pristine. Were you just moved by all of that part of it too, just kind of the production elements? Absolutely. And, you know, we all got a taste of it 26 years ago, didn't we, with the anthology uh, we saw how mm-hmm. the rooftop concert in those few songs that we had in that production, we saw how it looked and it, it looked good. Right. 
Um, yeah. So we had a, a real sense. But of course, that was 26 years ago when uh, the anthology aired, and the technology's better now. And uh, it really yeah. shows on the screen. I mean, as wonderful as the music and the stories are, you could practically um, put it on mute and just watch uh, these you know, <laughs> 52 year old images roll across your screen. They're just beautiful. And uh, to be able to have that experience and see the video be all that it can be is, is pretty exciting. Uh, and it's not just the let it be video, you know, this is Peter Jackson we're talking about. So um, mm-hmm, the kind mm-hmm. of archival clips that he's going to show along with it, those are going to be pristine too. Right. And, uh, he really delivers in terms of, of the great effects. And we shouldn't be surprised after his incredible World War I documentary, which I'm sure you and your, your listeners have seen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, maybe share with us one of the stories from the film. Because I, I refer to this kind of this narrative of it, of it being kind of a glum time. What do we learn from the film about the breakup of the band that you can share with us? Well, sure. And, you know, there's a, a distinction that, that Mr. Jackson made last week that you know, Beatles thinkers have known for a long time. And that is, you know, let it be is not the breakup album or the breakup film uh, in any stretch. It just happened to be conflated in <clears throat> April 1970 and and the forthcoming Let It Be album and then the documentary. It happened to be conflated with the world learning about the breakup. So it became synonymous with it. The breakup really, the seeds of that breakup, and, and we owe the great Beatles historian Mark Lewison for this, um, he, he was able to pinpoint in a conversation with Paul McCartney way back in 1991 when Paul said, you know, the night that they were at Olympic Studios in May 1969, this is well after, right, Get Back slash Let It Be is, um, they've done all they're going to do with that. This is well after that time. Uh, there, Paul's there at the studio with, working with Steve Miller. The others show up and they say, we got to sign with Alan Klein. And Paul says, no. And uh, really, is in his own words, as McCartney said, after that night, they couldn't put it back together again. So um, the things that will, will really damage their ability to move forward haven't happened in the space of the Get Back Project. Uh, the problem in the Get Back Project, in my theory, I don't, I don't even think it's a theory, is they're just exhausted you know Mm. this is a band that um their greatest hallmark besides being world-class musicians with an incredible flair for creating timeless music which is already a pretty good thing right but they're they're really their great secret weapon is the fact that they can just work like maniacs they grew Mm. up believing in hard work and they they recognize that being the beatles and the music that they're creating is bigger than they are. And uh, so they show up, you know, um, until they can't. But they show up and they have just finished the White Album, which is the biggest album in the world, right? It's only been out, what, not even two months yet um, to top the charts all over the place. And here are these guys trying to go into this giant soundstage to keep working, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. of course, what do rock stars do today, right? They take six years <laughs> off, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah, they take like, you know, they they go by an island and live there for a while, which, of course, the Beatles <laughs> considered that for a, for a time, too. But they just didn't uh, know how to not keep the momentum going. And I think a lot of that we can owe to Mr. McCartney. 
you know, one of the things you will be treated to, um, and it makes him so marvelous is the guy is just brimming with songs, you know, and by this point, so is George Harrison. And when you have that kind of music just flowing out of you and you're in, you know, conservatively speaking, the greatest rock band of all time, you want to mm-hmm. take those songs out for a ride with this incredible group that you're in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're real challenges. They just are not getting any rest. And, and now here they are in the soundstage. I mean, that's the, that sets the stage for why Let It Be plays the way it does. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the anthology and, you know, we're going to see some, I think, of the rooftop concert above London's Savile Road. Do we see the entire rooftop concert? Do we get treated to that in the film? Oh, you're getting the whole thing, buddy. Um, and uh, so <laughs> awesome. this has been one of the great, it's no secret, Mr. Jackson has talked about this. You know, um, it's, uh, I think it's close to eight hours mm. of footage. So um, the, one of the great experiences of it that I can't wait to talk to people <laughs> after it starts rolling out on Thanksgiving Day, one of the great parts of this is the fact that um, it feels like it's almost real mm. time, right? It has that, now it isn't. you're not actually spending, you know, 60 hours with the Beatles in the studio, but when you're talking about eight hours, that's a pretty good Mm -hmm. composite, right? So one of the, one of the wonderful experiences about it is you can feel them finding their, you know, mojo for lack of a better word. You can almost see the moments when it's happening and uh, all of that leads up to the, the rooftop experience, which of course is one of the, it's got to be one of the 10 great moments, and I would say in rock mm-hmm. history, period, you know, along with, you know, Elvis, et cetera. It's just, uh, it's remarkable. And it's especially remarkable because of everything that's come before. You know, you go back to the first week in January, you can't imagine this band doing a whole concert. They haven't even written the songs yet. Mm. <laughs> and yet, by the end of the by the end of the show, there they are. Were they ready for the concert? I mean, you talk about them being exhausted. Was the concert just this, you know, kind of ultimate next step? Or was it really something that they just were excited to be doing? Well, you know, as Michael Lindsay Hogg, who is the director of the Let It Be documentary, and who figures very prominently, um, you know, in the Get Back story. Um, and I think, frankly, I think Peter Jackson uses him very brilliantly. Um, he, uh, you know, he said, we got to have an ending, <laughs> you know, and they, and they don't have an ending for the story or this music they're making. And, uh, that's when they get to the rooftop right. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what, what did happen ultimately with the let it be film and Michael Lindsay hog, what, whatever became of that original. And will we, will we see that then kind of return to, I have heard, uh, you know, streaming or sure. I've heard people talk about how we should be seeing it somewhat eminently in the new year, perhaps, um, it has been uh, remastered for some time, uh, so that it can be, you know, presented, and I guess a kind of deluxe set. You know, I for one will be right there with it, um, especially if it uh, is has the look and sheen of what uh, what folks are going to see this week. So, um, but uh, you know, what happened with with that part of the story is is interesting in itself. So. You know, they finished the project essentially the day after the rooftop concert, which is January 31st, and they put it in the hands of a 
fairly young producer engineer named Glenn Johns who would go on to do amazing things, I believe, with uh, certainly with The Who and the Rolling Stones and other luminaries of rock. Um, and they basically say, go to it, son. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good luck. Um, and uh, he goes through a long process. Eventually, George Martin, the Beatles' magisterial producer, joins in with him, too, trying to build this thing to the Beatles' expectations. And for a variety of reasons, that just can't happen. Um, anyway, uh, but what what makes this all so interesting is because Lennon now is back in form, McCartney and Harrison are brimming with these songs. What happens is they've got too much material. They're not even thinking about Let It Be slash Get Back anymore. They've got this new album in mind, and it's going to be, of course, Abbey Road, perhaps one of rock's greatest albums of all time, right? You know, a very ambitious piece with the symphonic suite in it. Um, you know, it's they they can't help moving on because they've always got this this kind of relentless forward momentum and energy. Our guest today is author, historian, Smithsonian associate Ken Womack. Ken Womack is one of the world's foremost writers and thinkers about the Beatles. He is a professor of English and popular music at Monmouth University, and he's with us today to talk about the new Beatles movie, Get Back, which will air during the Thanksgiving holidays. Ken Womack, we really, we just so much appreciate your time, especially during this time of year. And I think for me, kind of one of the next questions is, because we refer to the Beatles being exhausted, and and, and I wonder what, what was the relationship like among the band? And this is kind of being portrayed a little bit as a Beatles reality TV project. I, I am assuming that cameras were just everywhere. Every little thing is made available to us. Do we get to see some of these more tense moments with the band members? Or is there just a lot of sharing and goodwill and collegiality as these band members work to be as productive as you describe? It's all of the above. You know, it's, um, hmm. it is very – I hadn't thought about it as reality TV, but – it is a kind of mostly unmediated experience, right? I mean, how much, how uh, anything that has cameras rolling at a certain point is mediated, right? So, um, you know, we just can't help it. That's just the facts of of this kind of of ki- this kind of experience. So it is it's mediated by lenses and rolling film, et cetera, and and rolling tape, because Michael Lindsay Hogg famously set up uh, a bunch of Nagra recorders to capture, you know, candid conversation and the like. Um, but but what you end up getting is uh, just kind of a study in human beings. And this was always true. You know, the, the Nagra tapes have been available for folks and a lot of this footage will be very familiar. But what you're seeing in, is, is it happening in this kind of quasi real time? Um, so it, it's kind of all of the above. These are human relationships, right? I mean, the the Beatles now, uh, Lennon and McCartney, have known each other since 1957. It's 12 years. Um, you know, George Harrison, uh, at least as long, because, of course, he and Paul were schoolmates, you know, and, and that means they're going back to teen years, right? And, and maybe even, I'd have to do the math, but possibly even preteen for George Harrison. So, you know, that's going a long way back. That's like families, and families... <laughs> who are getting together this time of year at Thanksgiving, right? You know, <laughs> they nitpick at each other and, um, you know, they've, they're kind of used to each other's arguments and their quirks and their quibbles and they love them and they're tired of them. And, you know, it's all there. 
and and the beautiful reality of of the fact that we have all of this incredible footage is we're seeing that and how that plays out when you you know when you have folks who know each other really really well and remember one of the the great moments i'm sure for all the surviving beatles was on december 8th 1980 which was also the darkest day on the beatles calendar john lennon's um, with uh, the great radio personality Dave Sholin, and they're driving, they're dropping John and Yoko off at the record plant for the last time, right? And uh, Dave, um, to his credit, said, "Hey, how are things with the other Beatles this day?" You know, just figuring he'd throw it in because he's heard stories. And uh, John just cut him off and said, "We are great. I love them. They love me. I'd do anything for them, and they'd do anything for me." And, uh, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, that's what also makes their story so wonderful is that kind of uh, that kind of connective tissue. Yeah, it's really almost touching to hear that, too. It's just a it's a beautiful sentiment to have about, you know, friends and family and these bandmates The the beautiful reality, as you put it, is that the music is so brilliant. That is the result of this, the culmination of this, that songs like Get Back and Let It Be, The Long and Winding Road. I, you know, some of the band's best, I suppose, in my opinion. But, but you, you, you mentioned this that John Lennon and George Harrison described the recording sessions and it's just being the most miserable sessions on earth. What, what was That's it that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what happened there to to make him react that way? To make he and and George react that way to to this to this project? So, John, John's remarks, and I, I believe George concurred with this is that, you know, waking up early, showing up like 10 a.m. on this soundstage, you know, that isn't their home away from home, which was basically Abbey Road's studio number two, right? That this kind of experience for them was was not the norm that they were used to and, and preferred. Um, they were under these lights. Uh, they didn't have a lot of new material prepared. Uh, so, you know, it was deeply frustrating for them. They, they've been living, uh, essentially for the most part at Abbey Road Studios for more than a thousand hours, um, during 1968, working on the White Album. And, uh, yeah, that's a real number, by the way. <coughs> and so they'd been there, uh, but they would work essentially from evening all night. Well, now here they are showing up, my gosh. Uh, there's a joke uh, at one point in the Nagra tapes where Ringo says, we're on the day shift now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the story. They're on the day shift. Uh, and they've been on the, uh, what the third shift, uh, as, or the third trick, they call it in, in Pennsylvania, the overnight. Uh, so it's not how they're used to working, but relentless workaholics. Yeah. Here they are ready to go. What role did Paul McCartney play in the kind of the film's final version? Did he did he leave it to Peter Jackson just to kind of do it? Did he insert himself? I guess question about Ringo too, his role perhaps. But I would th- just knowing what we all kind of know about McCartney and his his level of precision and interest about this, you know, kind of uh, project. Uh, was he involved? Did, does he come out as saint or sinner? And how did he influence some of the project? So I don't believe he influenced it really at all. I, my understanding is that, you know, you if you can't trust a guy like Peter Jackson, um, you know, with his track record, 
um, I don't know what you do. So my understanding is they really left him to his devices. I haven't read anything or been told of anything about uh, any kind of um, <laughs> insertion of, 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 of themselves in that process. Um, and it, you know, watching it, and again, I, you know, I can only speak generally, but I don't feel like there's anything that's been left out or elided in any way, you know, and in fact, um, yeah, no, it, it, it feels really authentic, at least in terms of what we know and the footage that, again, we've, we've all seen so much of this footage before, you know, um, simply because this is a story about which Beatles fans and music fans are intentionally interested. It's just now suddenly we have a bonanza of it, right? <laughs> so, you know, we're not getting one second in Apple Studio. We're getting many of the seconds as recorded in Apple Studio. So um, I, I don't I don't believe there's been any kind of intervention. It feels very, very authentic and, uh, you know, to their credit. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them in, in a certain sense uh, because of that. Um, years ago, I was like so many people. I was under the impression that it was the breakup album and let it be sad and blah, blah, blah. Well, I had a, my son at this point was about 14 and he got into the songs and, and, and actually the documentary, the Michael Lindsay Hogg documentary. And um, this was about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, I said, well, why do you want to watch Let It Be Again? What's wrong with you? You know, uh, he said, no, he goes, you're wrong. It's great. And he was right. Um, because what he saw is what I now see, which is it's just this amazing comeback. They're in the doldrums by their own accounts at the beginning. Um, they're, you know, my God, by the middle of the month, they still only have a few songs ready. You know, much less 14, which is the usual compliment for a Beatles album, right? Um, and yet by the end of the month, like you said, long and winding road, let it be, get back, which by the way, three consecutive number one singles in the United States, right? Um, <laughs> a number one album in Let It Be. You've got uh, new versions of Across the Universe, Don't Let Me Down, Two of Us, uh, I've Got a Feeling. That is an embarrassment of riches. And again, what's so cool about it is they don't really have any of that on January 2nd or 3rd. Yeah, and from the research that I've done uh, about you and, and the Get Back movie, Linda McCartney appears and Yoko appears in the film. Do, did they get along, the two, Linda and Yoko? And, and what's kind of the portrayal of them in the film? You know what? Um, again, not, not wanting to give anything away, but they're just parts of the Beatles ecosystem, right? So is the, the roadie, Matt Evans, you know, other members of their team, Neil Aspinall, Kevin Harrington, uh, Glenn Johns, George Martin, you know, people are flitting in and out all of the time. Eventually, uh, you know, as we all know, uh, a great uh, keyboard and fellow keyboard player and fellow Texan, Billy Preston's going to show up, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting, movable feast of people. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised and a little touched by a, a lot of, of the images of these folks, you know, because it is a story that, that kind of at a certain point, when you think about what they pull off and really how great they were as an artistic, you know, creative unit, you get, you can choke up over that. I do at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I'm I'm really excited about it because I just think it's going to be wonderful. But I think we'll learn a lot about these these people as people, and as friends and and colleagues. And and I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that part of it too. Why do you think the project took so long to happen to to kind of come together to, for lack of well, term? and this is yeah, good pun. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, a song that they would finish up in the summer of 1969, right? Yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, I'm only going with what what our research and, and history has shown uh, over the years, you know, Mr. Harrison in particular was not fond of, of uh, apparently of the, the get back, let it be experience. You know, he does quit right on January mm-hmm, 10th. Mm-hmm. I says, see you around the clubs and walks out. And uh, you know, so it, it wasn't a good time for him. There were other ancillary issues going on in his life. And um you know, so he vetoed it. My understanding is uh, more than once uh, since his passing. We've had the "Let It Be Naked" release of the unvarnished, despectorized, mm-hmm. as people like to say. Um, although it's not entirely accurate recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of it no, had to no do Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. So part of it certainly had to do, I guess, with that, um, and uh, of course, COVID. Uh, our pandemic. It, mm-hmm. it, my understanding is it would have been out uh, on the true 50th anniversary. So, um, you know, a variety of factors. Um, I, I'm also thinking in a strange way, and we'll, and of course time will tell us, and and the verdicts will start coming in, uh, you know, on Wednesday, right, when all of this is mm-hmm. uh, uh, less embargoed and people are talking about it more openly. But I wonder if we have a different appetite for long-form storytelling now than we have probably ever before, right? I mean, you know, I I notice this in my students. As you know, I am a college professor, and Mm -hmm. they're interested in things I don't think you and I ever would have been at their age. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, they they can watch 10 documentary episodes of something. If they're interested, they'll put in the time and effort, you know, whereas – I don't know about you, but I'd be like, okay, when's the next thing? You know, let's go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, no, I think definitely. people are trained now. <laughs> They're trained now uh, uh, because we've we have such higher expectations for episodic television. We've been trained, frankly, on the best long form television history over the last couple of decades, and increasingly so, that our expectations are higher. So I guess I'm my, I'm, I'm taking a long way to get to it, but the point is. I think people are more ready for, mm-hmm. you know, seven, eight hours of, of Beatles footage, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have the patience for it. There's mm-hmm. the word that we might not have had in the past. I certainly wouldn't have. Well, and it sounds like that we're, we're ready for this story psychologically, too, that it, it is upbeat. It is a, um, a return, perhaps, to some glory and, and maybe, you know, this comeback story, as you refer to it. it and the Beatles are cool again. I just think that's wonderful. My my boys, my wife and I have two boys. You're talking about your son. I mean, and students of yours. This is this is a good time to be a Beatles fan, and probably a great time to be a Beatle, former Beatle. You know, and it's it's such a, an interesting phenomenology, right? I mean, I say this all the time, but it's true. Right now, while you and I are talking, there is hundreds, possibly, certainly many, many kids who are hearing a Beatles song for the first time, or maybe even adults, right? If you're hearing a Beatles song for the first time and what the hell, where has this been? Right. 
and you know, and 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 they, I, I, we should be jealous of them, right? Because they can go to Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, uh, and there it is, <laughs> this this monument, right? And if they happen to listen to it chronologically, as we do every fall and, and are doing now in my Beatles class, and they go from you know, what, please please me the or love me do, through the Abbey Road album, there is no journey like that. It's absolutely remarkable in terms of the history of art to go from fairly primitive space to firing on all cylinders, right? Working different keys and chord structures and, you know, tempos, et cetera. It's really, it's really a remarkable artistic accomplishment. And uh, yeah, it's cool to be, I, I last when we did rubber soul a couple of weeks ago in Beatles class, three guys mm-hmm. were wearing rubber soul shirts. I would have been blown away by one and they didn't even coordinate it. You know, I couldn't believe it. I said, do you guys know each other? And they're like, no, they we just love this album. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It's really amazing. I'm sure looking forward to this and I sure appreciate your time. You of course have written this wonderful new book about George Harrison and Eric Clapton. You have, I had, talked about it. The title, of course, is All Things Must Pass Away, Harrison and Clapton and Other Assorted Love Songs. I just want to recommend that book again to my audience. But what's next for you in terms of Beatles nostalgia? Because there's there's always something coming here on the uh, with regard to the Beatles and a whole new range of people that are interested. Yeah. So um, my next uh, project, I will be cold, and I know you'll allow me to be, but I am going to write about one of the the tallest aspects of the Beatles phenomenon uh, that is lost to time and history. And uh, um, I look forward to sharing this project with you and and talking more about um, it's one of the great holy grails of their story. And uh, I'm very excited about it and sharing it with the folks, uh, folks out there. Well, we'll leave it at that for now, but yeah, please do come back. Ken Womack's been our guest. We've talked to Ken Womack before, author of the wonderful new book about George Harrison and Eric Clapton. We're going to put links up to where audience can find out more information about Ken Womack, his new book, and all things Beatles. Ken Womack, thanks for your time. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and happy get back to everybody. This is going to be fantastic. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you for your time. Yeah, who knows? Perhaps this is the new Thanksgiving tradition, right? (laughs) My thanks to Ken Womack, author and historian on The Beatles. Today, of course, we talked about Get Back. you got to check out Get Back on Disney+. Ken Womack is author of the new book, Harrison and Clapton and Other Assorted Love Songs. We've talked about that book before, and Ken Womack joined us today talking about Get Back and The Beatles. We're so grateful for his time. We're so grateful for you, our wonderful audience here on KSCW. Remember, be well. Talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on KSCW. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you next week. 